everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. The Houston Astros were immaculate, not once, but twice. I've never been immaculate in anything. So this is a pretty big deal, what occurred yesterday in Arlington, Texas. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and company. We're going to try to be as as immaculate as possible today. We'll fall short of the glory, but we'll try our best. Great show lined up for you today. I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one. Raymond Parsh III, of course. I'm joined inside the game studios by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. we got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to be covering a slew of different topics. we got three great guests lined up for you as well. Coming up at 7.30. We're going to be talking to the founder of the Rescue Group, which is an organization here in Acadiana that helps families in need. We're going to talk to the founder of the group coming up at 730. They have a charity event coming up that you're going to need to know about. That's coming up at 730. At 8 o'clock, Les East, our friend from ChristensCitySports.com. We're going to talk the latest with the New Orleans Saints in minicamp as well as the Pelicans. What's their draft strategy? NBA draft's going to be right around the corner. That'll be coming up at 8 o'clock today. And at 8.30, our old friend, it's been a minute, but we're going to welcome him back with open arms. Toby Christie, man who covers NASCAR for a living, is going to join us to give us the latest in the world of racing, stock car racing. So those are our three guests today on this Thursday edition of RP3 and Company. Of course, we're going to touch on Stanley Cup Finals, NBA Finals, Major League Baseball, New Orleans Saints minicamp, and so much more. And of course, the U.S. Open tees off this morning in Boston. Will we? We will give you updates, live updates from golf's third major of the calendar year throughout today's show. But let's start off with the Astros. The Astros did something that, well, that's never been done before. I just, and I had people ask me, RP3, what's an immaculate inning? So let's start there. Break it down. So an immaculate inning is a perfect inning for a pitcher. So in the bottom of the second inning of last night's game, afternoon game rather, in Arlington between the Houston Astros and the Texas Rangers, the Rangers lineup did this. Nathaniel Lowe strikes out swinging on three pitches. Duran strikes out on a foul tip on three pitches. Brad Miller strikes out. On three pitches. An immaculate inning is only nine pitches. 
That's it. Nine pitches. All of them strikes. No balls. No nothing. Nine pitches. Strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. So it's nine pitches on. You're going to get three strikeouts, but only on nine pitches. So there's no balls involved. Nothing like that. It rarely ever happens. It's only happened roughly a little bit more than 100 times in Major League Baseball history. So the Strohs accomplished that feat in the second inning. And people are going crazy. Look, there's a bit, there's an immaculate, an immaculate inning. It's happened. It's a big deal. Well, Luis Garcia is the one who started the game for the Astros. He's the one that pitched that immaculate inning in the second. He was replaced in this ballgame by Phil Madden, who came in and pitched in the seventh. And it just so happened that Phil was facing Nathaniel Lowe, Duran, and Brad Miller. The same three batters that Garcia faced in the second when he recorded the immaculate inning. And do you want to know what Phil did? He did the same thing. Low struck out on a foul tip, three pitches. Duran called out on strikes, looking on three pitches. And Brad Miller struck out swinging yet again on three pitches. Not only did they get an immaculate inning, they got it twice in the same game and against the same three batters. Against the same three batters. You realize how bananas that is? It's ridiculous that, first of all, It's so rare that an immaculate inning happens anyway. So that's one. Two, that you were able to do two in a game. Legendary, historic. But you do two in a game, and it's against the same three batters. How's that even even possible? I don't understand. Two immaculate innings in the same game with the same three batters. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Of course, Martin Maldonado catches both of the innings. And look, the man referred to as Candy by Kevin Foote is not good at hitting. He's their worst hitter. But the reason why he's their starting catcher is for things like this. He's a great catcher. He's great behind the plate. Awful in the batter's box, but great behind the plate. First time two immaculate innings occurred in the same game in Major League Baseball history. It's never been done before. Unbelievable. And as great as that history is, 
as bizarre and unique as the moment was yesterday. More importantly, the Astros won. The Astros took two of three from the Rangers on Dusty Baker's birthday, nonetheless. Huge win for them. And they win the game 9-2. to Makes history. Garcia was very good in this game. He needed this type of game. Struck out nine, only allowed four hits, two runs, and had the immaculate inning. Astros improved to 39-24 and 24 on the season. They're off today. They'll be back at home on this Friday for a three-game set against the Chicago White Sox. First pitch will be 7-10 on Friday. 9-2 win. Two immaculate innings, which had never happened before, against the same three batters. They take two or three, get Dusty Baker a win on his birthday. Absolutely ridiculous. Two immaculate innings? Still trying to wrap my brain around this. Two? They got two. And they did it against the same three batters. <laughs> what? What? And the third guy struck out swinging just like he did in the second inning. It's Absolutely phenomenal. So th- th- these are the type of things that make baseball just great. Great. Once again, immaculate inning in the bottom of the second, immaculate inning in the bottom of the seventh. Same three hitters for the Rangers. All three strike out. Miller strikes out swinging in both occasions. Never has happened in Major League Baseball history. Two immaculate innings in the same game. They're rare. It rarely ever happens. Astros were able to pull it off yesterday. Now, that's the great news, right? A win. One. Dusty Baker gets to celebrate said win on his birthday. That's the second thing. They make Major League Baseball history by having not one but two immaculate innings in the same game. That's great. And they take the series. These are all good things. And here's the other thing about the Astros. They've been in a bit of a slump, right? Since the calendar turned to June, they've gone seven and six. There are barely 500 ball club in the month of June. Their American League West Division lead has grown from five and a half games to nine and a half games. They've played 500 baseball through the first two weeks plus of the month. (laughs) Once again, the Astros since June 1st are seven and six overall after last night's or yesterday evening's win over the Texas Rangers which means they're playing 500 ball for the month of June. And their lead in the American League West division has grown by four games. 
That tells you a lot about the Houston Astros. That tells you probably even more about the Rangers, Mariners, Athletics, and Angels. One thing to be slightly concerned about if you are an Astro fan. We did find out yesterday that Pena had to be placed on the IL. So he's going to be out for a little while. They expect him to be back sooner than later. He's only been placed on the 10-day IL with a thumb issue. So the rookie sensation is going to be out for a little while. That's not 10 games, just 10 days. So you're going to have to kind of overcome that, having one of your young emerging stars not be in the lineup. And the other thing is this. Bregs, Alex Bregman, former LSU star, went 0 for 4 yesterday. These are his numbers as it stands right now on June the 16th. He's batting 214. Guy's like a career 280 hitter. 214, not 40, 14. His OPS is 694 after 215 at-bats. He has 20 extra base hits, and his slugging is like 363. Bregs right now is lost. They're going to need him to figure it out. Pena is now going to go on the IL, and that's just short-term. Long-term... Alex Bregman finishes the MVP runner-up three year, you know, three years ago. He's batting 214. Guy is just lost in the woods right now. Dusty Baker's got to figure out how to fix Alex Bregman. Because if the Strohs want to be a true championship contender and make a championship run. Got to fix Alex Bregman. Got to figure it out. But despite Bregg's O for performance, once again, Houston Astros have thrown through not one but two immaculate innings yesterday during their victory over the Texas Rangers. Becomes the first time in recorded history, is a better way of saying it, in recorded history. (laughs) That two immaculate innings were thrown on the same day. It was done by the same team, striking out the same three hitters. The Astros now have nine of the 106 recorded immaculate innings in Major League Baseball history. That's tied with the Dodgers and Yankees for most all-time. And they did two in one day. History-making day for the Houston Astros. Once again, the Astros will be off tonight. They'll begin a three-game series against the Chicago White Sox this weekend at Minute Maid Ballpark. And, of course, you can listen to all three games right here on the game. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and company, for the second night in a row, a no-hitter was broken up in the ninth inning. We'll go around Major League Baseball with you next Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, 
Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers in Southwest Louisiana. Oh, you want to entertain in grand style, right? In the fall, whether it's Saturday or Sunday, you got all the fellas over watching football, whether you're watching McNeese or the Raging Cajuns or LSU or you're watching the Saints on Sunday, you love to entertain there in your outdoor living space or maybe your man cave area. But let me tell you something. My friends over at Lafayette Marble and Granite they can take that area to the next level, make it show-stopping, make it the envy of your neighborhood. They, they are the South's largest cultured marble factory, and they pride themselves on earning your business. And look, you already know they produce show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens and your bathrooms, but like I said, they can take that outdoor living space and that man cave area to another level as well. Visit their website, lmgelite.com, today to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products that they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford in the Jockey Lot. Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Houston Astros make history yesterday evening as they become the first team in Major League Baseball history to have not one but two immaculate innings in the same game. And oddly enough, it was against the same three batters. Luis Garcia pitched it in the second. Moden pitched it in the seventh. The two guys throwing two immaculate innings. Martin Malnoto caught both of them as the Strohs make Major League Baseball history with two immaculate innings thrown on the same day, done by the same team, striking off the same three hitters. That's ridiculous. Just ridiculous. There's only been 105 immaculate innings thrown in Major League Baseball history. Once again, if you missed us at the top of the show, an immaculate inning is a perfect inning. It's facing three batters, throwing nine pitches, striking out all three. No balls are thrown, nothing like that. Three pitches, strikeout. Three pitches, strikeout. Three pitches, strikeout. That is an immaculate inning. It is extremely rare. The Strohs did it not once but twice, and more importantly, defeated the Rangers in game two to take two out of three on this road series. And as bad as they've played, as inconsistent as they've played in the month of June, they're 7-6 and six in the month. They're barely 500 ball club right now. Their American League West division lead grew from 5.5 games to 9.5 games. So even when the Astros are playing average, they're still better than everyone else in their division. That's the sign of you have a really, really, really great team that even when they don't play their best, 
and they have to send Jeremy Pena down to the IL for 10 days for a hand injury. They go out there and make Major League Baseball history by throwing not one but two immaculate innings. It's just like, what? What is going on here? Absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. And that's why you got to love the game. We had a no-hitter broken up. That was, what, Tuesday night? The young man for the St. Louis Cardinals had a no-hitter broken up with two strikes and two outs in the ninth inning. We had another no-hit bid broken up last night. Los Angeles Dodgers, Tyler Anderson was going for the no-hitter. He had one out in the ninth inning when Shohei Otani, the reigning MVP for the Los Angeles Angels, breaks it up. Otani took a cutter from Anderson and hit a line drive that traveled 98.2 miles per hour down the right field line with one out in the ninth inning. Mookie Betts tried to dive for it, was unable to get it. So back-to-back nights, we have no hitters broken up in the ninth inning of a ball game. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. Of course, the Angels and the Dodgers are two teams that Astro fans wouldn't mind seeing just, you know, get shot into space permanently. We got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and company, we're going to talk a little New Orleans Saints mini camp. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, he held court yesterday, talked to the media. woo my man had plenty to say. We're going to share it with you next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number. Two, four, niner, five, six, seven, eight. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a walkie-talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, me, oh, my crawfish pie. Have you joined the 1037 The Game, 1041 The Game Clubhouse yet? That's right, The Game Clubhouse. Have you gone to 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com and checked out our clubhouse? Have you become a member yet? Because you need to do so. Here's why. It's free, first of all. It's easy, second of all. You earn points by becoming a member. 500 points. That becomes like your currency. To win great stuff, to score great stuff. Like, I don't know, how about Astros tickets when we have those weekend getaways? Um, Concert tickets, getaways. Oh, and great gift certificates to local restaurants. Like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse down at Cypress Bayou. A $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. And a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. 
That's right. Those are all available in our clubhouse. But you can only score that great stuff and have a chance to win it. That $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's, the $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House, or the $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen by becoming a member of our clubhouse. So go sign up today. It's free to do so. It's easy to do so. We have even now have a video up on the website showing you just how easy it is to become a member. That's right, a little tutorial just for you. So go sign up today. It's easy, it's free, and you'll have the chance to score free stuff. It's the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. Houston Astros make history yesterday with throwing not one but two immaculate innings and a win against the Rangers. And they did so against the same three batters. That is just absolutely weird and kooky and amazing. And that's what makes baseball great. Another no-hit bid broken up in the ninth inning this time. Dodgers Anderson has his no-hit bid broken up by Otani with one out in the ninth inning. And we also have a poll question of the day to unveil to you. The U.S. Open begins today. That's right. Lots of controversy, lots of buzz going around the old tournament. It's golf's third major of the year. And many of the golfers that left the PGA Tour or were suspended by the PGA Tour by joining the Live Tour, the LIV Tour, are in the field. They are part of the U.S. Open because the USGA allowed it. Lots of great golfers in the field. Bryson DeChambeau, Phil Milkison, Rory McIlroy, Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Webb Simpson. The list goes on and on. Brooks Kepka. So it is a star-studded field, as one would expect, for it being golf's third major. But what about Sam Burns? Former LSU star, he has had a sensational year on the PGA Tour. It feels like he's ascending. He's having a breakout year. How will Sam Burns, who's in the field, finish at the U.S. Open? That's our poll question of the day. How's the young man from the state of Louisiana, the former LSU Tiger, how's he going to fare up in Boston for the U.S. Open? Will he finish the U.S. Open as the winner? Will he finish in the top 10? Will he finish in the top 25? Or will he miss the cut? That's our poll question of the day. Go vote on that right now on the game Twitter account and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter as well. But right now, let's talk a little New Orleans Saints football. Midi camp is up and running. We heard from Coach Dennis Allen and a bunch of players yesterday. I'm sorry, two days ago, we heard from them. Yesterday, we got to hear from Demario Davis and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. We'll get to what Demario had to say later on in today's show. I promise we'll share that with you. But Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, man... The outspoken, trash-talking, star defensive back for the New Orleans Saints had plenty to say yesterday. (laughs) Plenty to say. And you know what? 
Chauncey Gardner-Johnson's tired, man. He's tired. He's tired of carrying around a particular burden, and this is what C.D. Deuce had to say. Just tired of having that burden on our shoulder. What you guys can and can't do. Focus on what we can do. Uplift us. Like, what can y'all do? Man, you see it. We got the best defense in the in the league. The only team that pitched a shutout on Tom Brady in the past, what, 10 years? Come on, man. People are dialed in in this locker room. People are dialed in. And no disrespect to Tom, he's a great player. Y'all know that. Great player, phenomenal player. But when a lot of that get overlooked, the defense get overlooked by because who we playing, y'all know that. The defense versus Tom Brady. Not the Saints. So there you go. He, he makes a fair point, though, right? That matchup is, you know, the Saints defense versus Tom Brady, but it's not the Saints versus Tom Brady. It's the Saints defense versus Tom Brady. Not exactly inaccurate, especially the last couple of years. Defense has kind of carried this team. And more than likely, the defense will carry this team once again. Chauncey also elaborated on the feeling that they get from beating the Tampa Bay Bucks. We're confident that we can beat them in the playoffs in the regular season. Mm -hmm. We fumbled the ball to win the game. Y'all saw it, bro. Let's be real, bro. Let's call it what it is. I ain't saying no names. Y'all know what happened. That fumble messed up, right? That fumble messed up the game. And I ain't saying no names. It's football. Come on, bro. We ain't worried about nothing. If we can beat the GOAT four times, beat them consistently. Hold on. Let's take him out. We sweep our division consistently every year. What we worried about? Let's, 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 let's stop sending shots at single individuals. We single-handedly dominate our division every year. We dominated last year and we was at, on the bubble. Just a couple setbacks, COVID, injuries. It's like gross football. I mean, we suck. Tom Brady, Tom Brady lost a whole bunch of people. Patrick Mahomes lost a whole bunch of people. Justin Herbert lost a whole bunch of people. Do they suck? Seattle lost Russell. Come on, man. He's not wrong. He's not wrong about the fumble by the former New Orleans Saints tight end that cost them the game. And he's not wrong about perception, right? You know, I've heard national media talk about how Seattle is still going to be a competitive team, could be a playoff team even without Russell Wilson. And Chauncey's not wrong there. Yet Drew Brees retired and everyone thinks that the Saints are going to be the Detroit Lions. No offense to Detroit. Or Cleveland. I, it, once again, it, it's, a, it's a narrative that's building steam nationwide. And Chauncey's the type of guy that he pays attention to these things. He's tuned in to what other people are chattering about. And, yeah, not great. And he further talked about how the media portrays the New Orleans Saints. They, they feel like we ain't got nothing over here. Our fans know what we got, but let's just be real. Y'all see what's going on TV. They got us going eight and four, seven and nine. Like what? Like what? That that is the perfect guy for a team. It's the guy you don't want to face, but it's the perfect type of guy that you want to have on your team because he's going to instigate. He's going to get under the skin of wide receivers and quarterbacks. He's going to talk trash. But he's going to back it up. 
And his teammates absolutely love him. They do. They absolutely love him. Speaking of his teammates, he's going to have a new one this season in the secondary in particular. He's got a couple of new ones. Daniel Sorensen came over from Kansas City. Marcus May came over from the Jets. And, of course, the Honey Badger. That's right. Tyron Matthew, former LSU star, came home and signed with the New Orleans Saints. And this is what C.D. Deuce had to say about getting to play with the Honey Badger. It make you feel even better. Look where this guy come from. You know, look what Marshawn came from. You got pro bowlers in the room. You got no choice but to play up this expectation. And that's what I've been doing. That's what Postal Medivo been doing. That's what P.J. Williams been doing. Can't speak on everybody, but from our room and from my perspective, like I just feel like we Tyler Bennett respected. That makes sense. Chauncey was this way at Florida. He feeds on competition. When you add a guy like Tyron, and this is not a knock on Malcolm Jenkins, because I think some people take it that way. It's not. Tyron still has more left in the tank than Malcolm Jenkins did his second time around. And Malcolm was a leader, but in a different way. Tyron's going to walk onto the field, and automatically everyone's going to be like, okay, let's go. It's a different thing. It's a different type of leadership. Malcolm will take the time out to talk to the young guys, pull them aside, discipline them, and everything like that, right? Okay, that's great. And he'll he'll keep guys accountable. Tyron's not going to, to be that. It's going to be more of a competition in holding each other accountable because of that. It's going to be a slightly different dynamic on the back end of the Saints defense this year. And it could make them better. Because you heard it right there. This is what we're trying to do. And he mentions Paulson Adebo, young cornerback out of Stanford that was, you know, had a up-and-down rookie year last year. Talks about Lattimore. He talks about the fact that all these guys are on the field. And they all are, in their opinion, great. So they're going to push each other. Right? It's going to be that. Adding someone like Matthew does that automatically to the rest of the team. You're not going to see... You know, we've been critical of Lattimore over the years because sometimes it feels like he takes games off, especially when he's not playing Mike Evans and the Tampa Bay Bucks. I don't think you're going to see that. I think Lattimore's grown, one. But two, as, as much as Malcolm Jenkins was respected, his personality may not force Marshawn Lattimore to play hard every game. Tyron Matthew has that personality where you're going to see a far more competitive Lattimore. It's just, once again, it's not. I'm not knocking Malcolm Jenkins because his leadership was needed and his leadership is valuable. It's just different. And some of these younger guys respond differently. And Matthew's in between, right? He's in between the ages of what Jenkins was and what Lattimore and C.D. Deuce are. So they're going to, you know... They're going to respond better to him more than likely. That's that's how I feel about that. That's what I think about that. Motivation. Every guy's got different motivation. Some want to get paid. Some want to be all pros. Some want to fill up the stat sheet. So forth and so forth. What's C.D. Deuce's motivation? You know what motivate me? Y'all saw me today with my son? That's what motivate me. I don't care about talking trash to nobody. That don't motivate me, son. That's my job. 
if I'm motivated to beat the next person, I'm, I'm just like this. If I'm motivated to out clout or look for something to uplift, I'm good on that, bro. I don't care about that. I got a son to feed. I got twins to feed. I don't, I don't care about none of that. I don't chase none of that thing. It's going to come to me. You got to love the confidence, right? My motivation is my son, my twins. Talking trash, that's part, That's my job. Which is just, once again, he's the type of guy, the personality is the type of personality you hate to face. C.D. Deuce is the most hated guy on the Saints roster by every other team in the league. He's the guy they hate to face. But he's also the type of guy, if he was on their team, they'd love him. He's just one of those guys. He's a great stir-in-the-pot type of player. Now, you can't have a bunch of those guys on the team. But you can have one. And he gets them fired up. And he gets under the skin, man. And they and look, the Saints defense... They do a very nice job of getting under the skin of opposing players, period. Whether that's the Bucks, We've had Mike Evans throw hands on Marshawn Lattimore before. They, they know how to get underneath other teams' skin. And I think they're going to have a bit of... Uh, they're going to have some swag this year. I'm just being honest. They're, they're going to have a huge chip on their shoulder this season. And what about this season? You know, a lot of folks you heard CD Deuce talk about it earlier. Uh, you know, they're saying that we're going to go like seven to nine or seven to ten or whatever like that. People aren't you know thinking we're going to do very well. They think we're going to be maybe like an eight win team. Well, CD Deuce tells you exactly what he's here for and what his expectation is this year. Yeah, consider all these playmakers on the team. Ain't no way we should be considered we only eight games. And I'm speaking for my teammates. That's who I am. The team know who I am. I don't always know who I am. I'm a fiery guy. I like to win. I hit up. Forget the money right now, bro. I'm here to win. We ain't bring all these people in here for nothing. We ain't bring all these people in here for oh, CD Deuce to get a new contract. We ain't bring all these people in here for Marshawn Lattimore. To get, no, we brought the people in here so we can win a Super Bowl. That's what we here for. There you go. And trust me, CD Deuce is gonna get paid later. Don't worry about that. He's gonna get his. He's he's gonna get his check. Not to worry. Saints mini camp rolling right along. Day two in the books. Later on today's show, we'll hear from Demario Davis as well about mini camp and about some of the other guys on that side of the football. That'll be coming up. But right now, we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up our number one. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the best local sports talk in Southwest Louisiana. Poll question of the day. How will former LSU Tiger star and Louisiana native Sam Burns finish at the United States Open? U.S. Open tees off this morning. First round action from Boston. 
for golf's third major and one that's got far more intrigue than it typically does because of, well, LIV, live golf. How will Sam Burns finish at the U.S. Open? Right now, 36% of you say in the top 10. 29% say in the top 25. 21% say you believe Sam Burns is going to miss the cut. Going to miss the cut. I'll say I'll say the young fella ain't ready yet. Ain't ready for the big time. And 14% of you say Sam will finish as the winner. So we'll see. Once again, U.S. Open going on, teeing off in Boston. All the LIV stars are, yes, are in attendance. Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, Bryson DeChambeau, and more. Rory McIlroy, by the way, is the betting favorite this week for the U.S. Open. He passes Scotty Scheffler as your betting favorite. But you do have others in the field. I love the U.S. Open. There, there are times where it's my favorite golf major. Everyone will say the Masters. Everyone loves saying Augusta because of the tradition and everything. I, I get it. I love watching the U.S. Open because the way they design the courses is so immensely difficult. You see some of the best athletes on the face of the planet struggle mightily out there on the golf course. They design the U.S. Open courses. They will change a course and make it more difficult and transform it into an absolute beast. And you get to see guys really kind of just rise to the occasion for U.S. Opens. Once again, it's held at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts, outside of Boston. Got some early action already out on the course that we get you the updates on. First group is through four holes. Right now, Travis Vick, an amateur, is your co-leader at one under par, along with Colin Morikawa. They're both one under par. Travis Vick, the amateur, is through three holes. John Rahm, that's a fairly big name. Adam Scott are tied for third. They're even par. Rom through two holes. Adam Scott through one. Xander, uh, Xander Shoffley is also at even par. He just got done wrapped up with hole number one as well. So a good number of guys are already out on the course this morning. Jordan Spieth, one over par through one. He obviously bogeyed hole number one. Already tons of activity coming up still to tee off or waiting to tee off, rather. Billy Horschel, Rory McIlroy, they're teeing off early this morning. Kevin Kisner, still to tee off. Mark Leishman, Keegan Bradley, Brandon Grace. He's one of the gentlemen that defected to LIV. Sergio Garcia. No, Sergio not Sergio, my my apologies. Not Sergio, but Phil Milkelson, Bryson DeChambeau, all those guys are still to go. But right now, early scores, lots of bogeys so far. <laughs> Only through one and two holes. <laughs> lots of bogeys. 
already out on the course there outside of Boston for the U.S. Open. We'll keep you updated throughout today's show. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up. We'll take your phone calls. Game hotline is open. 337-706-0111. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Our number two has arrived. Ooh, man, we are ready to rock and roll around here on RP3 and Company. We got our first guest lined up. It's going to be coming up in half an hour from right now. We're going to leave the world of sports just briefly, but it's going to be for a good cause. Reese Gilmore from the Rescue Group of Acadiana is going to be joining us at 7.30 to talk about their charity event that's coming up. It's for a great cause. Trust me on this. You want to hear it, and it's going to inspire you to want to help out here locally. Then at 8 o'clock, Les East from CrescentCitySports.com will be joining us to talk Saints, to talk Pels. And then Toby Christie, little rubbing is racing. NASCAR talk lined up at 8.30. Of course, we will take your phone calls. Game hotline is open 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. The U.S. Open has teed off outside of Boston. Decent weather over there on the East Coast. And we already have a slew of, looks like about two dozen, more than two dozen golfers already have teed off for the opening round of the U.S. Open, golf's third major. Right now, we have a logjam atop the leaderboard. Hayden Buckley, Travis Vick, who's an amateur, Colin Marakawa, and Adam Scott are all tied at one under early on. John Rahm there at even par as well through two holes. He's always going to be in contention. Billy Horschel. Patrick Cantlay, which a lot of people liked this week to possibly win the Open. He's at even par through one. Roy McIlroy is even par through one as well. So is Xander Shoffley. Hideki Matsuzama as well. So lots of early action. They just now have started teeing off there at the U.S. Open being played at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts, outside of Boston. We'll keep you up to date on that throughout today's show. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Sam Burns, the former LSU Tiger. He is in the field for the U.S. Open. He's had a great season so far. We asked you, how will Sam Burns finish at the U.S. Open? Right now, 40% of you say he's going to finish in the top 10. 27% say in the top 25. 20% say he misses the cut. 13% say he's going to finish as the winner. JPK, the OD, 
with his amazing hatred for golf once again. Thank you, JPK, the OD. We're going to talk golf, bud, today and tomorrow. I'm letting you know. <laughs> it's the U.S. Open. We're going to talk about the U.S. Open. JPK, the OD, says, who is Sam Burns? Golf? Golf? Need I remind you it's only 87 days till the Dirty Bird barbecue in the Dome? Bonus question, what is a three-pitch inning called? Your hatred for golf means I'm not going to answer your trivia question. Not going to happen, JPK, the OD. Be nicer about the game of golf. Also, in hour number one, we touched on the New Orleans Saints. In particular, heard from Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, C.D. Deuce. He had a lot to say about a lot of different things. Man is a great trash talker, great instigator. His teammates love him. Other teams hate him. Or as Darren, number one Raging Cajun fan of RP3 and company, messaged me earlier, said, you know, C.D. Deuce is like Draymond Green. He's a guy you hate to play against, but the guy that you love to have on your home team. That's a a good comparison. It's a very good comparison. We heard from C.D. Deuce, and we also talked about the Houston Astros. They get the win against the Texas Rangers to take the series two games out of three. They get a win on Dusty Baker's birthday. But more importantly, they make history as becoming the first time in Major League Baseball history or in recorded history, as some people have referred to it as, that we've had two immaculate innings in this on the same day and then on top of it it was in the same game like we've never had two immaculate innings on the same day we had two yesterday and they were in the same game and here's the weird part about what happened it was against the same three batters once again an immaculate inning is nine pitches three strikeouts That means throwing three pitches to one batter, striking them out. Next batter, three pitches, strikeout. Next batter, three pitches, strikeout. It's only happened 105 times. The Astros now are tied for the most all-time in Major League Baseball history. So the Strohs win the series. And despite being 7-6 and to start the month of June, they've seen their lead in the ALS increase from 5.5 games to 9.5 games. So even when the Astros are playing mediocre baseball, the rest of the division has no chance. Has no chance. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on our first caller of the day, Brent. Brent, what's on your mind, brother? I just hope me and you are still friends. That's all I got to say. And then I got to ask you a couple of questions. All right, what you got, bud? One of them is... uh, uh, there's rumors going around that Alvin Kamara is going to be suspended for the whole year because of that incident that he went through. And the way the commissioner does for the Saints, there might be some truth to it. What's your opinion on that? Here's Look, it's an interesting situation because it's already been delayed once, right? Now his court date's not until August. So it puts the Saints in a bad position. I agree with you. The commissioner and the, uh, and the league office is not going to do the Saints any favors, period. Right, that's not going to happen. But their protocol is usually to wait till after the court case has been decided. That's what they did with Big Ben back in the day, with all of his stuff off the field. That's what they did last year with, um, you know, uh, Deontay. They wait until a decision is made, whether that is it's been decided by a judge or a jury, or if it's even been reduced down, if the charges get reduced down and you plead down to a lesser charge and it gets settled and you get probation, the NFL waits for that to happen before 
inflicting their punishment. So that's what they're waiting to happen now. If Kamara, there's a decision that gets made in August, I could see them suspending him for at least six games all the way up to a season. I really could because that's how Goodell likes to do things. Now, they could appeal it and get it reduced down, but if a decision is made in the the legal case in Vegas from the Pro Bowl weekend that you're referencing, if that actually gets decided, whether he pleads down Brent or they actually go to trial in August, then he will be suspended this season. But there's a very good possibility that the case itself gets kicked down the road again and won't actually go to trial or have a decision made until later in the year or maybe even early next year. They will wait until something happens. The NFL always waits until a decision is actually made. And I got a comment for you about about your uh, radio station. You're going to be popular tomorrow when the Astros play because they own Apple TV, and that's the only way you can watch the game, if you have Apple TV. And if you don't, you have to listen on the radio. Well, that, there we go, but see, if you don't have Apple TV, you game's got you covered. Brent, brother, appreciate the phone call, bud. Enjoy the rest of your day, my friend. Stay cool and stay safe out there. You too, man. Have a good day. Yeah, not everyone has Apple TV. The, the, these companies are just doing all these big contracts. They're like, oh, yeah, let's do that. How, do you have Apple TV? I don't. I got too many streaming services as it is. The only way I get Apple TV is if I literally get off of my, like, family music thing. And I like my free music that my stepdaddy pays for. So I, I don't have, have Apple TV at all. We have Disney Plus, which we use more more than anything because we have the kiddo, right? We have a seven-year-old. Right. So we're watching a lot of The Ghost and Molly McGee, which is her new favorite show. So a cartoon. So we do, we do a lot of Disney Plus because they also have Natural Geographic, right? So we have Disney Plus, plus they have all the Star Wars stuff and Marvel. We have Disney Plus, we have Netflix, we have Hulu, we have Amazon Prime, and we have Peacock. I got no more space for anything else. I got, I got an ESPN Plus. I have no more room for anything else, man. No, I mean, I we, we use his, my, use my in-laws Netflix. And my mom and stepmom's Disney Plus. Only thing we actually pay for is Amazon Prime. And we're watching House right now. So we're set for a long time of watching House. So, yeah. So I got, it's, it's, it's too much. It's too much. That said, the, the Khmer stuff is something that's lingering over the Saints. Right? And, and th- there's no other way of dealing with it because there's so much uncertainty. So you have to move forward like you're going to have Alvin Kamara. But on the same hand, you have to move forward like you're not going to have him. I, there's no other way. His case is not until August. His case is not until August. It got delayed. The NFL will wait until that's decided. That's what they did with Marcus Williams. That's what they did with Deontay Harris, now Hardy. That's what they've done with every NFL player. They wait for the legal process to be done. Now, a lot of times the players think, oh, I'm in the clear because I've pled down to a lesser charge. It's no longer a felony. It becomes a misdemeanor. Or I only get probation and I don't have to serve jail time, so I'm not going to get punished by the NFL. That's not how this works. The NFL is going to punish you. Roger Goodell is going to punish Alvin Kamara. 
It's going to happen. We just don't know how long it's going to be for. It's going to happen. Even if AK pleads down and only gets probation and has to serve community service or whatever it might be, right? And it's no longer a felony charge for the assault. He's still getting punished. It's the whole integrity of the shield policy. They are going to punish Alvin Kamara. If you're a Saints fan, it makes you a little bit nervous. Because on one hand, do you go ahead and have this legal case get decided in August? And him plead down or whatever it might be, and then go ahead and just take your lumps and say, okay, NFL then comes out a week or two later and says you're going to be suspended for six games or seven games or eight games or whatever it might be. Okay? Then you deal with it, but then you know you're going to get Kamara back for the back half of the season. He'll be healthy. He'll be fresh. He'll be ready to go. And then you can make a decision bringing in one of these older veteran free agents to team up with Mark Ingram and the kid out of Baylor that you signed as an undrafted rookie free agent. That's one scenario. The other scenario, which I think would cause more anxiety, would be his case gets pushed back. And the case gets pushed back. And let's say the trial date or the hearing date doesn't take place until the end of October or November or December. And then a decision is made legally about Alvin Kamara. And then he gets suspended for the back end of the regular season and all the playoffs. That's the worst case scenario. Best case scenario is that the case gets pushed throughout the season and doesn't get resolved until January. And then, you know, then he can be suspended for 2023. But right now the Saints are in limbo. So they have to, you know, have Alvin out there like they did the other day him practicing fully, going through drills, everything like that. And they they have to prepare to have Alvin Kamara, and then they have to also prepare at the same time to not have Alvin Kamara. I don't envy the offensive coordinator and running back coach. That's why you've seen so many Saints fans say, hey, we need to go get another running back. But I think they're going to wait. We had John J. Hendricks on yesterday. He told us they're probably going to wait to sign somebody until after Kamara's legal process in August so that means a lot of reps for Ingram the kid out of Baylor they'll try to give Tony Jones Jr. another chance and they'll give Kamara reps but based on what happens in August could determine whether or not you're going to see AK it's not the best situation we got to take a timeout. when we return here on RP3 and company Talk a little bit more New Orleans Saints. We'll hear from Demario Davis. He talked to the media yesterday. And then we'll give you the latest updates from the U.S. Open there at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts, outside of Boston. Opening round action is up and running. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. June 16th, 1975. The Milwaukee Bucks trade three-time MVP Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Walt Wesley to the L.A. Lakers for four players. 
Kareem would win three more MVPs and five titles with the Lakers. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's the game's birthday, and this is your invitation to come and party with us as we celebrate 10 years of being Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Join us at Buffalo Wild Wings on Ambassador Caffrey on Wednesday, less than a week away. There will be delicious wings, amazing door prizes, including station swag, shirts, koozies, and more. Astros tickets, a 50-inch TV donated by AVI, car washes from the wash donated by Service Chevrolet, and a gift card from Partners Limited, and so much more. In addition to yours truly being out there, Kevin Foote, producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names, the intern extraordinaire Daryl, Steve Wiley, birthday boy himself, will probably be making an appearance. The Blonde Bomber, Jordy Holberg as well. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh will be in the house broadcasting live from the party. So come join us on Wednesday at B-Dubs on Ambassador Caffrey starting around 4 o'clock all the way until 9 for the game's 10th birthday bash. Let's get ready. Let's go. I'm ready for the birthday bash. I'm ready to have a good time. Why wouldn't you have a good time? Let's talk a little more New Orleans Saints football mini camp is up and running. Lots of veterans are there. Lots of guys are taking part in it. Demario Davis is obviously one of the best players on the Saints roster, period, whether it's offense or defense. Team captain, unquestioned leader of this team. And, you know, he sets the tone for that side of the football. He sets the tone for the team, period, now. He's the leader. And he gave his early thoughts about what he's seeing from minicamp yeah like you said it's, it's, it's very early in the process but it's good to to be out here moving around kind of getting a look at the whole roster and kind of how we all got to gel together um, we got some new pieces some very good pieces and so it's really about us being able to gel together and work together and find that chemistry demario knows as a veteran Adding the new pieces, even though they may fit the scheme, even though Dennis Allen, the former defensive coordinator turned head coach, believes that this is going to make the team better, they have to work together. This is why you saw Tyron Matthew at voluntary workouts. That's why you see Demario Davis there. That's why you see Lattimore there. All these guys understand this, and they understand that as, as improved as the offense is going to be, and it will be improved this year, Jarvis Landry is going to catch everything thrown his way. Michael Thomas is going to be back. Taysom Hill is going to be a, a game changer at lining up a tight end. The offense is going to be exponentially better than it was last year. Last year, it was a dumpster fire. This team is going to be led by its defense. It's going to be anchored by its defense. They're going to win a good portion of their games because of their defense, not their offense. So that's why it's so important for them to develop that chemistry early 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 and 
one of those guys that they're going to be counting on is the second-year linebacker out of Ohio State, Pete Werner. And Davis, boy, he's impressed by the young man. Well, I played a lot with him last year. He probably had one of the better years for a rookie defender. I'm a very smart linebacker, very athletic player. And anytime you're able to play next to a guy that's smart and, and quick and you know they're going to get the job done, make a lot of plays, it's exciting. And so we're going to need him to play at a very high level this year, and he already proved that he can. You heard, it was last week when we heard from Pete Werner about how DeMario is such a smart player and that Pete felt like he was a smart player as well. So there, there's a level of respect already there. DeMario is the old, salty veteran that knows how to get the job done, knows how to be a professional, knows how much intelligence plays a role in being a great linebacker in the modern NFL. He already sees that in Pete Werner. So if you had any question marks about Pete Werner and whether or not he could thrive as one of the other starting linebackers, uh, DeMario Davis believes it, so you're good. I, I never played professional football. I stopped playing football in junior high at Dutchtown Middle School. I was not gifted athletically. So I tend to separate myself from being a fan and looking at things from how a player looks at it when, they, when a player tells me, when a player is a straightforward guy like DeMario Davis, no nonsense, man of God, team leader, tells me that Pete Werner is good to go, then you know what that does for me? I'm good. I believe DeMario. And if you have any reservations about Pete Werner, don't, because DeMario Davis doesn't. Plenty of new additions, though, on that side of the football. We've talked about Tyron Matthew, Marcus May, and others. They've beefed up that side of the football with draft picks and free agent moves. And DeMario talked about all those new additions to an already very good Saints defense. You know, certain guys around the league that you want to play with just because they're a dog. You know, it's a term that's thrown around <laughs> loosely. Everybody want to be a dog, but, you know, real dogs know who the dogs are. And he's one of them. And so being able to bring somebody like him in the locker room is, is just phenomenal. You know, Marcus May, I got a chance to play with Marcus when he was a, a rookie, and I was impressed then and even more impressed now. You know, with those guys, you know that that they care about ball, you know, and, and they around the clock they're going to be studying and making sure that they're ready to go for their team. And that's what you really need, especially when you get to playing the high-level football that, that we're accustomed to playing. And so, you know, having those guys be able to come in and, and get the reps with the guys that they're going to be in with is, is very important just from a communication standpoint and understanding how different guys play. That's very big. And so just excited to have guys like that. You know, being able to get defensive tackle like Street is, is, is huge. You know, being able to have somebody to get the inside pressure like him, Big O, and, and some of the other guys. We made a lot of good moves that is going to put us in a position to be even more dominant defense and we're gonna have to be for this team they made moves to beef up their defense because Dennis Allen knows this team's gonna be led by its defense offense will be exponentially better but this team New Orleans Saints in 2022 will be led by their defense make no bones about it give you an update from the U.S. Open before we hit our timeout once again, first round action has teed off there at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston. 
tied atop the leaderboard. We have seven different golfers at one under par early on. Hayden Buckley, Travis Vick, the amateur. Young man's holding his own through six holes. Patrick Rogers, Matthew Naismith, Colin Morkawa, and Adam Scott and Russell Henley are one under par. And then you have several guys that are at even par, including Roy McIlroy, who's your betting favorite, Xander Shoffley as well. Mark Leishman is at even par. Keegan Bradley, even par as well. So U.S. Open has teed off there outside of Boston. We'll continue to update it throughout today's show. But right now, we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we're going to be talking with Reese Gilmore. She's the founder of the Rescue Group of Acadiana. They are an organization that helps families in need. It's a great cause. They have an event coming up. You've heard us talk about it. She's going to tell us more about the organization and the charity event fundraiser that they have coming up. That's next right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Sign up right now for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com so you can score tickets, gift certificates, and more. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Here at the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We're always take great pride in getting the word out for great organizations that are doing things to help their community. And our next guest is doing exactly that. She is the founder of the Rescue Group, and they're putting on an event, Rescue Fest. We're going to talk about the organization, what they do, what they're doing to impact people's lives here in the Acadiana community, as well as about the upcoming event that's helping raise funds. Joining us now is Reese Gilmore, founder of the Rescue Group. Reese, good morning. Thank you for uh, coming on and uh, spending some time with us here on RP3 and Company. Thank you for having us. Good morning. Well, thank you for making some time out to spend with us on this Wednesday morning. Well, Reese, let's start off a little bit about the rescue group. Tell us how it was founded, what was the genesis uh, of it, and what do you guys do here for the community? So basically, it was founded off of a passion that I have had for a long time. In 2008, I lost my two-year-old son. And through that process, I had no idea how I was going to navigate life again after he had passed away. And so I submerged myself within the bereaved community and just found a community of other families that had gone through similar losses and just relating to them and having that me too moment, you know, I didn't feel alone. So I always knew that there was such a need to create a process for these families that were going through the hardest time in their life. It took years to try to form and create, but this uh, past year we founded the rescue group we're an organization local to Acadiana. We serve 10 parishes, and we provide families with financial aid for end-of-life expenses, burial, cremation, or medical bills um, when they've lost a child from the age of one 
up to 17. So we step in and offer them basically a what to do next process and help them with getting things sorted with the with the funeral home and then walk this grief journey with them, provide them ongoing bereavement support, such as free counseling. We have a child life specialist on staff that also navigates for the siblings of uh, child loss. So it's basically a, a full process. You know, we always say we're the club that no one wants to ever have to be a part of. But if you find yourself in this situation, where those arms that you want to fall into. The cliche, if you will, is that the loss of a child for a parent is the greatest loss that anyone can experience for you personally going through that process that grief process it sounds like it aided you so much to be able to find people that were going through the same thing as you because people Reese can tell you oh I'm going to keep you in my thoughts and prayers and we love you and we support you and we're here for you but if they're not having going through the same thing that you're going through it's just not the same is it no it's not. And, you know, you appreciate the thoughts and the prayers and the concern. But, you know, at the end of the day, you're trying to figure out if you're ever going to be normal again. You're trying to put back together pieces of your life that basically no longer exist. And so the only comfort that I found was when I was, you know, getting words of encouragement or advice from families that had gone through this. I wanted to know how long it was going to take for me to feel better. How long was it going to take for this desperate place in my life to begin to somehow like dissolve? And it and it was it was a crazy, crazy process. I just felt so alone. So you're right. I mean, that's that was the whole idea behind this is that just families not feel alone as they're going through the darkest times of their life. I love how you mentioned about the siblings and that you guys have something for that. My my wife lost her older brother when she was a child, so there was grief for her parents. And yet her grief was different. And, and many times the siblings feel alone through the process and it's not not a fault of for the parents because they're processing their own grief but sometimes the siblings get kind of lost in the shuffle right and how important was that for you guys in your organization with the rescue group to make sure that there's something in place to help those siblings when they lose a brother or sister yes we were so fortunate that one of her name is Seska Campbell she came to me and she said I'm a child life specialist and she said I have a skill set that I think I could offer for your organization that would make all the difference. And when she and I met and spoke and decided, yes, we wanted to bring her on board, we knew that this was such a critical, crucial piece to the services and programs that we could provide. Children are often the forgotten grievers, and it's not because, I mean, they absolutely matter, but community around you is often focused on the parents, and the support is there for the parents, but these children are just left in the wings, and they don't know what to do either, and they're having to get to know their parents again who are suffering and grieving, and they are just in the midst of this chaos and don't know what to do. Children haven't, you know, haven't had a chance to grow and learn from situations and circumstances. So their ability to process grief is so different. So we are really proud of this piece. Seska steps in for them at the moment of tragedy, just like our navigator step in for the moment of tragedy for the parents. Seska steps in for them and basically prepares them for the funeral, prepares them for what they're going to see, for what they're going to feel, prepares them as they go back 
back to school because peers are going to have questions. How are these little children going to answer these questions that they don't even understand? So we have a complete process for these little ones that, that basically, you know, just help to facilitate healthy grieving and healthy processing. So this is just something that I'm very proud of. My girls were 10 and 11 when their brother passed away. And had I have had her, it would have made all the difference and probably would have really aided in in their recovery because we dealt with it down the road. I was too weak at the time to deal with it then for them. There was a lot that we dealt with down the road. So this is important. We're talking with Reese Gilmore. She's the founder of The Rescue Group. They're hosting The Rescue Fest at Park International on Saturday, June the 25th. It's going to help raise funds for the organization, which helps out grieving families with child loss. Reese, so many people deal with grief different ways. Some people are far more open about it, uh, wear their emotions on their sleeves. Others bury it, and others try to push through, if you will. How important is it to let the folks out there listening know that The Rescue Rescue Group is a place where you're not going to be judged. If you want to be open, you can be open. Or if you want to be quiet, you can be quiet. Just know that this is a place that's a safe place for them to come to talk to people or maybe just listen to other folks that are going through the same thing that they're going through. Absolutely. Everybody does do it different and everybody's timeline is different. There is, you know, the the old saying is if you're not hurting yourself or hurting somebody you love, through the process, chances are you're doing it right. That's because there's no right or wrong way to do this. But we don't care if it's been a month since your loss, a day, or 10 years. Everybody has their own time frame for getting help. I will tell you, I, I have seen the difference in people that get help versus people that don't. And the source of, of healing that comes from being surrounded by other like-minded individuals that you can relate to makes all the difference. So we just encourage anybody that is grieving or has had the loss of a child, you know, reach, reach out, get support. It's never too late. We see it all the time. Some I've had people call me and say it was 20 years ago, and I tried to push it under the rug, and there's just been things that have surfaced, and I'm just now dealing with it. We encourage them to come in and let us help. Rizzi, let's talk about the event that you guys are putting on. Once again, Saturday, June the 25th at Park International. It's the Rescue Fest. There's going to be music. There's going to be all types of other things. This is a great way to be able to raise funds for your organization. Tell the folks all about Rescue Fest. We are super excited. So Rescue Fest is coming to Park International June 25th. Uh, Doors open at 10 a.m. and we go till 8 p.m. We have a cornhole tournament. We have a five-band lineup. We have all sorts of kids' activities. We have a kids' corner. We've partnered with the Children's Museum where they're going to allow entry for, you know, with the price of one adult, you get a child gets in free. So that gives them a place to kind of cool down. But the, the really special part is, you know, so many of these families no longer get to have a birthday or prepare for a birthday or decorate for a birthday. And we have over 30 family tents that are coming out and displaying, you know, their child's personality and basically finding a place for their love to go. They're going to be Sawyer's superheroes and uh, superhero games, and there's going to be prizes. It's just a chance for these families um, to introduce their children to the community and um, keep their legacy alive. So we're really excited about this day. And it's important. Um, you know, the one thing that families always say is 
we don't want our children to be forgotten. So there's going to be a special memorial event at 6 p.m. where we will honor all the children who have gone too soon. But basically it is. It's a fun-filled day, and uh, it requires events like this in order for us to continue to sustain our mission. So we hope everybody will come out and support. Reese, please tell the folks where they can get more information about Rescue Fest and where they, more importantly, can get more information about your organization. So if they are interested in pre-registering, you can do that through Eventbrite and just type in Rescue Fest, R-E-S-C-Y-O-U-F-E-S-T, and you can purchase tickets on Eventbrite or you can get them at the door. Or you can visit our website, which is the Rescue, R-E-S-C-Y-O-U group, G-R-O-U-P dot org and uh, click on events. You can find more information out on our website. And if there's a family that is in need of help or support, we do have an application on our website that they are welcome to fill out and we will be in touch with them ASAP. Reese, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you being here, uh, being here. Keep up the tremendous work that you're doing for all these people in the community. Can't wait to see what you guys do with Rescue Fest. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much. That's Reese Gilmore. She's the founder of the Rescue Group. They're hosting Rescue Fest at Park International on Saturday, June the 25th. It should be a great event for everyone to go out and support. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company, though, coming up right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers in Southwest Louisiana. It's the game's birthday, and this is your invitation to party with us as we celebrate 10 years of being Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Join us at Buffalo Wild Wings on Ambassador Caffrey on Wednesday, June the 22nd. By the way, that's Wednesday. We're less than a week away from the birthday party. Let's get excited. I know I am. Here's the deal. Join us at Buffalo Wild Wings on Ambassador Caffrey on Wednesday. There's going to be delicious wings, amazing door prizes. That is going to include station swag, shirts, koozies. You're also going to have the opportunity to win Astros tickets, a 50-inch television donated by AVI, car washes from the wash donated by Service Chevrolet, a gift card from Partners Limited, and so much more. In addition to all the personalities, yours truly, Producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names. Intern extraordinaire Daryl. Steve Wiley. Jordy Holberg. Kevin Foote. Maybe even an appearance by Louis Prejean. What? My man's relocated to Houston, by the way. My man's living in H-Town now. He's big time. But he could, uh, you know, come and hang out with the little people. In addition to that, Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh is going to be broadcasting live from... The party. That's right. Live from the party. So come join us at B-Dubs on Wednesday from 4 to 9 o'clock for the game's 10th birthday bash. Let's get it. Let's go. Let's go. Can't wait. I'm excited. It's been a while, man. We haven't done one of these birthday parties in a while. 10 years? Full decade at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Just saying. It's a big deal. We want you to come join us. Come hang out with us. Have fun.
Poll question of the day. We need to update that bad boy. How will Sam Burns finish at the U.S. Open? Former LSU stars had a tremendous year on the PGA Tour. Winning tournaments, top fives, top tens. How will Sam Burns finish at the U.S. Open? 35% of you say in the top 10. 35% of you also say in the top 25. 20% of you say he will miss the cut. And 10% say he will finish as the winner. As the winner. JPK the OD. Not the biggest golf fan. I'm sorry, JPK. Look, we're going to talk nothing but New Orleans Saints football in the fall. We talk... It's June, and we're, we're spending multiple segments on this show and on this station talking about Saints football, bud. Just saying. There's plenty of room in your heart and in your soul for the world of golf. Just saying. Just saying. Open up, bud. Just open up and let golf walk right in. You got plenty to root for. You got people from Louisiana in... The U.S. Open. Got to give them some love. Over on Facebook, Brian Guidry says, in the top 25. I think he has a really good chance of being in the top 10. Especially with the way that he's been playing of late. Let's get an update from the U.S. Open, which teed off this morning. There at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston. Got a little separation here. Tied atop the leaderboard at two under par is Colin Morikawa and Russell Henley. They're both two under par through holes five and four. Then tied for third is Matthew Neesmith, the amateur Travis Vick, Adam Scott, former major champion, and Sebastian Munoz. They're both at one under. And then we have a group at even par. Hayden Buckley, Patrick Rogers, Sam Bennett, another amateur. Brandon Matthews, Wyndham Clark, and others, including John Rahm, Roy McIlroy, Xander Shoffley, that are all even par. You're noticing not a ton of low numbers because this is what I love about the U.S. Open. The USGA says, you know what we're going to do? The game of golf is already immensely challenging. Let's get crazy with it. Let's make it almost unbearable and soul-crushing for the U.S. Open. All right. I love it myself. It's, it, there are times where I go back and forth where I feel like it's my favorite. A lot of folks will tell you, especially Southerners, will tell you that the Masters is their favorite golf tournament. It's not mine. My favorite golf tournament is actually the Open Championship. It's played where golf was born. And watching them play on those Lynx courses in 45-mile-per-hour winds with grass as tall as my daughter, those are my favorites. It's the Open Championship, then it's the U.S. Open, then it's the Masters. And I, look, I, I love them all. Don't get me wrong. But if you, if, if you asked me RP3, you have the opportunity to go cover or just go as a fan to one golf major. I'm going to pick the Open Championship, and I'm going to pick it when it's at St. Andrews. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. It's not a. It's not a. It's not nothing against Augusta 
or any of the great courses that the U.S. Open plays at, like Beth Page Black or Pebble Beach. But if you asked me if I had to pick one golf tournament to go to, to experience, whether that was at a fa- as a fan or as a member of a media, it'd be the Open Championship when it's held at St. Andrews. That's what I would want to do. That's on the bucket list. But I love the U.S. Open. Lots of scores of one over already through first four, five, six, seven holes. U.S. Open, man, it's no joke. They do it on purpose. They make it as challenging as possible. And that makes for some great drama on the weekend. I mean, you got Jordan Spieth, two over. Billy Herschel, two over. Patrick Cantlay, two over. They're not even at the turn yet. Cut line is probably going to be three or four over par, maybe even higher. We'll continue updating you on the U.S. Open, which teed off this morning outside of Boston. That's going to do it for hour number two. Hour number three, boom. We're going to kick it off with Les East, our friend from CrescentCitySports.com, talking Saints minicamp. We're going to talk New Orleans Pelicans. Draft is right around the corner. What are the Pels going to do? What's David Griffin going to do? We'll talk about that next right here. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Hour number three has arrived, and man, it is going to be a good one. We're going to talk NASCAR with our old friend Toby Christie. He'll be joining us half an hour from right now. We'll also continue giving you updates from the U.S. Open, which teed off this morning from the Country Club there at Brookline outside of Boston, Massachusetts, golf's third major of the season. Lots to get to. We've tried to cover it all for you this morning here in RP3 and Company. Houston Astros make history. First time in recorded history that... Not one, but two immaculate innings are pitched on the same day. Not only were two pitched yesterday, they were pitched by the same team and against the same three hitters. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And for those who don't know, an immaculate inning is when you face three batters, you only throw nine pitches, they're all strikes, and you strike all three guys out. That's the immaculate inning. And the Strohs did that twice in yesterday's win against the Texas Rangers, and they did so against the same three batters. Unbelievable. Strohs also, of course, win the game. They take two or three from the Rangers, and they give Dusty Baker a win on his birthday. Also worth noting, as much as they've been struggling, they have been struggling. They're 7-6 and six in the month of June. Alex Bregman is batting like 214. He looks lost. They've had to send Jeremy Pena now to the IL for 10 days with a hand issue. 
the Astros have actually increased their lead in the American League West from five and a half games to nine and a half games, despite playing mediocre baseball. Whoa. Whoa. Strohs are off tonight, but they'll be back at home inside Minute Maid Ballpark this coming weekend for a three-game set against the Chicago White Sox. We'll be having all three of those games here live for you on the game. First pitch, 7-10 tomorrow night versus the White Sox. But right now it's time for us to talk New Orleans Saints and New Orleans Pelicans with our good friend, the award-winning columnist and reporter from CrescentCitySports.com. Mr. Les East joins us now. Les, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Raymond. It uh, sounds like the Astros had pretty good scouting on those three headers. <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> and they got one guy to strike out swinging both times. How crazy is that? Have you ever been, have you ever witnessed an immaculate inning uh, in person during your illustrious career, Les? No, I don't think so. I, I'm, and I'm pretty sure I would have remembered it if I had, but to, to have it happen twice in the same game and then the same hitters that's just uh and i don't know if that'll ever happen again it's 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 why we love baseball because they give us these types of moments less these types of events and little just miraculous things that happen all right but let's talk about the saints mini camp up and running uh it's been up and running now for a few days give me your takeaways of what you've seen so far well, it seems like uh, a typical Saints minicamp, which is a good thing. You know, they um, didn't have really an off-season program last year. Sean Baton chose to, to do it remotely, and then two years ago they didn't have it because of COVID. And now, uh, you know, a lot of players, not a huge number, but double digits decided not to participate in the voluntary OTAs. But now that the mandatory mini camp is here for the first time in three years, everybody is there. A few aren't able to participate because of injuries, but they're all there. And uh, Dennis Allen's running his first mini camp as head coach, and everything looks normal. They're practicing at, at a fast pace like they always have, and they're. Uh, getting good work in. They had fans out there the last two days. It will be closed today uh, to the public. And um, so the fact that it looks like things are back to normal for the most part, I think, is a good sign after uh, a lot of changes the last couple of years and having everybody show up uh, was a good sign as well. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson held court yesterday, Les. He said a lot. He had a lot to say, like always. Uh, Of all the things that he spoke about, what kind of caught your attention and kind of made your ears perk up the most? Well, I don't know. It was kind of uh, (laughs) remarkable. He held court for a a few minutes, and he had a, a, a gaggle of reporters around him, as we like to say. And then it sort of died down, and a bunch of people wandered off trying to find someone else to talk to. A few people stayed around. A few more came up, and he started up again. And it was, like, almost unprompted, and he did it a second time. And then it kind of broke down again, and a few of us were still talking to him on the side, just chatting when the locker room was closed, and we wound up leaving later than we were supposed to because they were the PR people had trouble pulling us away because he kept talking. 
And then he brought Mark Ingram over to try and get him to <laughs> second a lot of what he had to say. And Mark really didn't know what he was getting into. So <laughs> he was obviously wound up. And uh, it was, uh, you know, the, the Brady stuff, obviously he's obsessed with Tom Brady, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because, you know, he he's had success <laughs> getting inside of Brady's head. And the Saints defense has played very well against Brady the last two years, at least in the regular season. So, you know, there there's some – some mind games going on there, and I, I, I don't think there's anything unhealthy about it uh, at this point. And, uh, you know, I just think the main thing that I took away from it is just that he just feels like him personally and his team are being disrespected, mostly on the national level, but I sense that there was a little bit with the local media as well, that he just doesn't think, they're getting proper respect that he has extremely high expectations for this defense and this team this year. And he keeps hearing how uh, they're basically going to be a 500 team, maybe a little bit worse. And he thinks uh, they're more like a Super Bowl contender. And it really got under his skin and uh, he hadn't talked a while and he needed to let it out and he sure did. <laughs> that that he did and i'll wonder if he's going to be available for media anytime soon but uh, typically when that happens we, we we don't get to see that player again for for months is how that usually works but he's the type of guy that thrives on this i mean even if there isn't a slight out there he's going to create one he's built that way right he's ultra competitive less and he's going to find a reason to have a chip on his shoulder because he plays his best football when he has that big chip on his shoulder. Yeah, there's no question about it. It's it's something that he generally uses in a positive manner. Now, there have been a couple of times where he's crossed the line in games and gotten himself into trouble, gotten a penalty here or there. But I think last year he did a much better job of going up to the line and not crossing it. And I, I think that's come with maturity, and, and hopefully that continues where – uh, he doesn't let that chip on his shoulder, that emotion, that trash talking go too far where it distracts him from the job he has to do or it gets a penalty that, that hurts his team. And so I think we saw progress in that regard last year. And I know I, for one, expected with the crackdown on that type of behavior that the NFL said it was going to have I really thought that he was going to have trouble playing within that, uh, playing underneath that larger scrutiny, and he didn't have a problem. He did a good job. He was still himself, and I don't recall him really getting uh, uh, having a major problem uh, with drawing the penalty. So, if as long as he can continue to do that, to to stay within the, the confines of what you're allowed to do in terms of trash talking. Uh, during the game and trying to get into the opponent's head, then, then it's good. It works well for him. He just has to uh, uh, maintain that balance, and he did a better job last year. And uh, the Saints are certainly hopeful that he'll do the same this year. But I think you're right. He won't be in the locker room when we're in there today, and then they're gone for six weeks. So uh, we won't be hearing from him again until sometime in training camp. 
We're talking with Les Heese of CrescentCitySports.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Alvin Kamara's situation is just in limbo because his next hearing's not until August. So what is the game plan for the Saints? I mean, do they have to prepare that they're going to have Alvin Kamara for the full season and also prepare at the same time that they're not going to have him for the full season? How do, how do they do this? Well, I think they prepare uh, to have him for the entire season, but uh, also are prepared in case they have to react to something happening down the road. And Dennis Allen talked about this a little bit, uh, I believe it was Tuesday, Uh you know, until somebody takes him away from them, they're assuming he's going to be here the entire season. And if some disciplinary action were to happen, it wouldn't happen until after August 1st. It probably would happen later than that because that's just, I believe, in a, an arraignment on on August 1st. I, I wouldn't expect it to be resolved that quickly. So there's no telling when they're going to get any news on him if they do get any. But you know, David Johnson, the former Arizona running back, is participating in minicamp on a tryout basis. They talked to Daryl Williams, the LSU running back, before he signed with Arizona. So they're looking at other veteran options to uh, possibly bolster the position in case they were to lose Kamara at some point. And then in training camp, they have young players to look at. They have Abram Smith, the undrafted free agent, from Baylor, and then they have guys who have been around, Dwayne Washington and, and a couple of other guys. So they, uh, Tony Jones Jr. and Azigbo. So with the, they're going to try and have depth there so that if something happens with Alvin down the road, they don't have to go scrambling and seeing who's on the street. They'll, they'll already have adequate depth. Of course, Mark Ingram is going to be the number two running back. So they're they're trying to bolster their depth in case they need to go to it because of the discipline. But if that happens, it's probably going to uh, it's not going to happen till late in the preseason or the regular season, or uh, it may not happen at all this season. So they're, they're trying to bolster their depth, but for the time being, they're keeping their fingers crossed. We heard from Pete Werner earlier this week, and it's hard not to be impressed by the young man. He had a, a good rookie season, and the way he played and what he showed has pretty much forced the Saints to say, you know what, we're not going to overpay for Quan Alexander because we got a guy right here that can start for us. Demario Davis is high on him as well. Just how good can Pete Werner be in this defense? Oh, I think he can be be a really good player. I think he was, and Demario talked about him yesterday. He, you know, he said he. He already is a good player. He had a good rookie season, one of the better seasons on defense of any rookie in the NFL. And he's smart and he's uh, talented. So he he should be even better this year because things will be more second nature to him. And uh, he's already proven he can be a good player, and he should become an even better player. So uh, I think they feel good about having him line up next to uh Demario Davis. They also are hopeful that Zach Bond and Caden Ellis, two other young players, are able to break through this year. That uh, they drafted Demarco Jackson, and yet they're also they've looked around at uh, they have another veteran who started for the Steelers last year, who's on a tryout in 
at this mini camp, so they're not totally sold on their depth. They're looking at whether they should add another veteran linebacker to the mix. And, you know, yesterday I was going through um, some information from last season, researching a story, and I noticed that uh, Quan Alexander, when he re-signed last year, I believe it was August 4th, training camp had already begun. So, And I, Quan is not signed elsewhere, so I would not be shocked if he doesn't re-enter the picture at some point if they don't find what they're looking for, they don't see what they want early in training camp, because that's exactly what happened last year. Les, let's switch gears to the Pelicans. We're a week away from the NBA draft. What's the latest that you can tell us about the Pelicans, their draft process, and who they maybe have an eye on to take with the number eight overall pick? Yeah, they've been uh, keeping a pretty low profile on this. Uh, you know, sometimes teams are, are real uh, open about bringing players in for workouts, and uh, you know, words leaked out a, a couple of occasions about them uh, looking at guys, but they've not been very forthcoming about who, who they brought out. And you know, I I think they're considering all their options you know it, it wouldn't be shocking if they didn't use the picket number eight and yet it wouldn't be shocking if they did use it i just think they're in a position where they can uh, entertain all possibilities and certainly when you have a pick that high in the draft there are going to be people below you who are looking to move up they also have enough assets that if they want to go higher for a particular player they have the the means to make a trade to go up. So they're looking at all the possibilities. It's really hard to project uh, what's going to happen eight picks into the draft at this point. I do believe that they uh, are in a position where they don't have to look at it and say, we have to get a player at such and such a position that they can uh, they can use pretty much everything, and yet they're not desperate for any one thing. So I think they can go with the proverbial best player available. And if that player is higher than eight, they can take a run at them. And if they feel like they're better off dropping down because the player at number eight isn't exactly what they're looking for, they can do that. So I think David Griffin's got a is in a good position. And it's going to be uh, interesting to watch next week because uh, they, uh, I think, are dealing from a position of strength. Les, always appreciate your time and your insight, brother. Keep up the tremendous work at Crescent City Sports, and we'll talk to you next week, my friend. Thanks, Raymond. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll update our poll question of the day. What do you think Sam Burns is going to do at the U.S. Open? Then we'll give you the latest updates from golf's third major of the year being held outside of Boston. That's all coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Update from the U.S. Open. By the way, if you're wanting to know tee times for some of the big heavy hitters, a lot of them will not be getting onto the course until after lunchtime, afternoon. So Sam Burns, who we've been talking about, the former LSU Tiger, he's going to be teeing off at 12-14. Brooks Kepka, 12-25. Scotty Scheffler, 12-25. Webb Simpson, Dustin Johnson, 12-36 each. 
They're being paired up today. Phil Mickelson and Louis Ushosen at 12.47. They'll be paired up with Shane Lowry, the Irishman. Justin Rose, Gary Woodland, Bryson DeChambeau won't be teeing off until 12.47 as well. There's Patrick Reed, 12.58. So a lot of the bigger names will be teeing off after lunchtime. But right now, update from the U.S. Open being played there at the Country Club in Brookline, right outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Matthew Naismith is tied atop the leaderboard with Colin Morikawa and Russell Henley. All three of those gentlemen are at two under par so far today. Travis Vick, an amateur, has completed the front nine, and he's at one under par. He's tied for fourth with Patrick Rogers, John Rahm, and others. So those are your early leaders as it stands right now. We do have some other big heavy hitters that have already teed off. Adam Scott is through seven holes. He's at even par. Rory McIlroy is through six holes. He's your betting line favorite. He's tied for 13th at even par. So is Xander Shoffley. Mark Leisham. Leishman is also at even par. And then you have some other guys that are just slightly above par. They've had a rough start to their day. Patrick Cantlay, one over through six. He's one of the bigger names that's already been out on the course. Jordan Spieth is not having a good day either. Through seven holes, he's two over par. So U.S. Open up and going there outside of Boston. Once again, three-way tie atop the leaderboard early, early, obviously, as today is only the first day. You know, we asked you for our poll question of the day. It's about, you know, Sam Burns. How do you think he's going to finish? Is he going to win the whole thing, the former LSU Tiger? Is he going to finish in the top 10? Is he going to finish in the top 25? Is he going to miss the cut? Our buddy Salty Steve, Steve Flint, has chimed in. Picking a winner in the U.S. Open is like trying to pick the next pitcher who will throw the next no-hitter. Current form makes little difference. Compare it to getting struck by lightning. The course is set up more difficult than anything they will see all year. The greens are firmer, the rough is higher, and the pressure to win is crazy. It's the U.S. US Open, not putt-putt, and it's supposed to be the toughest test in golf. Enjoy the tourney, and best of luck to Sam Burns. Hashtag go Tigers. But Steve's not wrong. That's why the U.S. Open is great. The USGA on purpose, I have to explain this usually every year. Why is, why is the rough that way? They go in, you know, all these sites, all these golf courses bid on hosting the U.S. Open, right? They go through. U.S. Open, PGA Championship, rotate. So does the Open Championship. The Open Championship only has a few, like a handful of courses that it rotates around. The PGA Championship and the U.S. Open have far more courses to go through. The Masters is always at Augusta. The USGA, they will take over a course, and the course is more than likely going to be difficult to begin with. But then the USGA leading up to the Open goes, how can we make it to the point where golfers may want to snap their driver in half and clobber someone with it? Hold up. Let's make the rough un unbearable. Like on most golf courses on the PGA Tour, you hit it in the rough, it's not that big of a deal. It's not optimal. But you can hit out of it. It doesn't kill your chances on the whole. You can get up and down. 
at the U.S. Open, that's not happening. If you hit it, you hit an errant tee shot or your approach shot is a little off and it lands in the rough, good luck. We see it over and over again, year after year, guys snapping their clubs, trying to hit out of the rough at a U.S. Open or trying to hit the ball and it only goes two feet. The rough is monstrous at the U.S. Open. And they make the greens firm and fast. So you have to play perfect golf. And even then, you're going to be lucky to uh, shoot even par at the U.S. Open. It's immensely challenging. It's supposed to be the USGA on purpose makes it that way because they don't want their winner to be 20 under par. They want it to be an immense challenge. And that's how they want it. They shape it where there's difficulty wherever you look. Hey, you avoid the roughs. That's great. Are you ready for the fast greens? Oh, you're not? Okay. I mean, I saw, I was watching preview coverage yesterday. And they did a diagram. I think it was hole 11. And they showed it. And in the center is the perfect spot. But everywhere else, if you hit it, the ball's going to roll off the green. Because of the way they designed the greens. So most tournaments... Oh, you get it on the green, y'all have a chance to putt for par or putt for, putt for birdie. Not here. If you don't hit it within like five to seven feet around where the pin's at, where the hole's at, your ball is going to do this, and it's going to start rolling and rolling and rolling right off the green. You want to see challenging golf? You want to see the best players in the world be frustrated and have to grind it out for four straight days, that's the U.S. Open. That's what makes it amazing. Absolutely phenomenal. Once again, don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. It's about the local, you know, well, the state kid. He's not local to us, but he is from the state of Louisiana. He did play at LSU. How will Sam Burns finish at the U.S. Open? 42% of you say he's going to finish in the top 25. 33% say he's going to finish in the top 10. 17% say he's going to miss the cut. And 8% of you say he's going to be the winner. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming on Facebook and Twitter as well. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to talk NASCAR with our old friend Toby Christie. He's going to join us from tobychristie.com. Give us the latest updates on what's going on in the world of stock car racing. Rubbit is racing. Yes. Going to talk NASCAR. That's next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Man, Trail is putting on a free all-day event this coming Saturday at Cafe 20.3 at 1500 General Mouton. Here's the deal. In addition to the free paddling that's going to be available, there's also going to be a party featuring live music to help out the Mile Zero Heroes. It's going to be helping raise awareness and funds to build a new Teepfer Park and boat launch at Mile Zero on the Vermilion River. Donations and sponsorships are welcome and Trail is going to match up to 
$1,000 in donations. So whatever you match, they're going to match as well. It's for a great cause. You get to some great exercise with the paddling. You get to have a party, and it goes to help raise funds for a great cause. Win, win, win. For more information on this weekend's trail event, simply visit www.latrail.org. Once again, that's www.latrail.org. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. How do you think former LSU Tiger and Louisiana native Sam Burns is going to fare at the U.S. Open, which is teed off this morning outside of Boston? Do you believe he's going to win it? He's going to finish in the top 10, going to finish in the top 25, or is he going to miss the cut? Because you know what? The U.S. Open is no joke. It does not play around. You know who else who doesn't play around when it comes to joining us here on RP3 and Company? Our final guest. He's the founder and editor-in-chief of tobychristie.com. He's also co-host of the Final Lap podcast. It's the man who covers NASCAR better than most. It's our old friend, Toby Christie. Toby, it's been too long, brother. How you been, my friend? RP3, I was hoping that someday we would be reunited again, and I feel like this is, this is the best morning I've had in a long time, so it's great. There we go, bud. It's about to get better. You get to talk with us. All right. You and I have talked about this in years past. It sure does feel like it's come to fruition. Chase Elliott, who leads the current NASCAR Cup Series standings, three stage wins. He's got more than 2,000 points. It sure does feel like Chase Elliott has become the face of NASCAR. Is that true? Oh, no doubt. His popularity is unmatched. Nobody's even anywhere in the in the realm of conversation as far as that goes. But in addition to the popularity, like you said, he's got a winning pedigree. Uh, he's a champion. He won the championship in 2020, which really helped things uh, as far as his, his star in the sport. Uh, and just is always one of those guys that at the end of the day, no matter if he's had a bad day, if the car has been wadded up like you saw at the Roval last year, he still finds a way to get the finish he needs. Uh, to move on in the playoffs, or we're into the next uh, next round of playoffs and stuff like that. So uh, he's he's a fierce, tenacity uh, filled uh, race car driver, and uh, yeah, now he's definitely the face of the sport right now. And he's also a legacy, and that matters because he not only does he appeal to the younger fans that are watching him just come up, but he, he's going to appeal to all his daddy's fans right or that even that generation of fans that remember watching his daddy bill win races left and right that's a big part of that and for nascar this is a huge win for them yeah yeah no certainly and and he's got kind of that attitude of the old school kind of driver too where it's more on the track uh rather than just kind of talking a bunch of noise and stuff like that so uh, he's very quiet. He's very hard on himself when things don't go right. He doesn't blame a lot of other people for his mistakes. Um, and I think that resonates well with a lot of the, uh, the traditional uh, NASCAR fans. You speak of attitude. Let's talk Kyle Busch because he's got attitude to spare. Yet, <laughs> yet, there's no questioning that, you look, he rubs drivers the wrong way. He rubs his own team owners the wrong way always has and always will but there's no denying that guy can drive his tail off and yet here we sit june 16th and guess who's third in the standings and it's kyle still out there being the old man of the group and still competing with the young guns is he underrated i would say 
just based on the fact that so many people don't like him, he is. But he is kind of climbing the popularity rankings. He's usually about second place in the in the most popular driver vote, even though nobody ever talks about it. Uh, so his fans love him. The people who aren't his fans hate him. So uh, it, it's a very different uh, kind of thing because uh, whereas Chase Elliott has pretty much the people that hate that like him love him, uh, and the people that aren't really his biggest fans still like him somewhat because he's very likable. Uh, Kyle Busch is a lightning rod. You either love him or you hate him, and that's kind of the, the situation we're at. But, yeah, I think he is a little underrated because, uh, you know, he had kind of a, uh, an off last couple years by his standards, uh, and it kind of caused a lot of people to write him off, especially going into the next-gen car. Um, but, man, he's he's been very consistent this year. He doesn't have the win totals like we're used to with Kyle Busch still, so that that's kind of a uh, trend that's continued from the last couple seasons. Uh, but as far as consistency standpoint goes, I mean, he's he's racking out great finishes and uh, typically gets the most out of his car for each weekend. Uh, so uh, I think as far as, as his rating goes and, and where, where people kind of rank him, I think he definitely is underrated. You know, two of the younger guys that we thought would be part of the conversation along with Elliot. Austin Dillon and Bubba Wallace are just kind of middle of the road guys right now. Why is that? Well, I mean, it's a good question. Uh, the next gen car is kind of a, a weird situation because, you know, you got teams like 2311 or a Toyota team. And so there's really only six Toyota teams out there. So when you're pulling from a, a pool of resources to try to improve this new car and trying to get the development going, you don't have a lot of other cars to pull information from. It kind of helps uh, or kind of hurts the, uh, the, starting off process with the new car. Um, as far as Austin Dillon, he's had flashes of brilliance this year, man. He's already finished like second or third three or four times this year. It's just when he's not on, he's way off. Right. And that's the problem. Uh, so it's kind of boom or bust for him. Uh, and for him, the booms haven't led to victory lane yet. They've been very close. Uh, but it's going to definitely take a win, I think, at this point for him to get into the playoffs, especially with how many winners we have at this point. Uh, it, it's going to be very hard to point your way in at this point. They're, you're only going to have, right now, we only have, what, four guys pointing in. Uh, and if we get a few more winners along the way, that, that whole point thing is going to be going out the window. So um, I, I think they need to keep trending with what they've been doing, which is running near the front, uh, even if it's just kind of sporadically here and there. Uh, if you're up towards the front, you have a chance to win the race. Uh, but that's, that's going to have to be the, the goal for him at some point this season. Let's talk about the ascension of Ross Chastain because the last couple of years he's really ascended and, and there he sits second in the standings and he's winning on all different types of tracks. Uh, tell us a little bit of background of the uh, gentleman driving for the Trackhouse Racing Team. Yeah, I mean, the the, the generational watermelon farmer uh, that kind of looked like his career was over a few years back. Yeah. And it was nasty. Uh, in the Cup Series, and then once Chip Ganassi decided to sell his team, I was like, well, crap, here he goes again. He's out. He's gone. Um, but, you know, he's stuck with it, and he's very, very uh, ferocious when it comes to tracing on the racetrack. He doesn't let anybody kind of get away with anything. Um, he's kind of one of those old, gritty-style drivers as well, uh, where he will he will take whatever you give him on the racetrack and take a little bit more, <laughs> honestly. So it's rubbed a lot of people on the track the wrong way. I think that as far as the fans go, I think they appreciate the 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 effort and the the never say die attitude, and I think that goes a long way from there. I don't know how he, you know, I don't know what his fan base looks like at this point. We still haven't really seen how he looks in a most popular driver contest, but I think from a result standpoint, this is the absolute perfect guy for Trackhouse. 
which is a, a newer team, just trying to work their way up the, the rankings here. Uh, you've got him and, and Daniel Suarez, and they are just absolutely overperforming what anybody expected a second-year team to be doing at this point, I think. Talking with Toby Christie of tobychristie.com. He covers NASCAR. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Let's talk about Suarez. That's a historical moment and uh, what happened this past weekend. Uh, just uh, kind of give us insight on just how significant it is. Well, I mean, it's significant from the, the standpoint of he's a driver who's from Mexico winning a Cup Series race. That's something that's never happened. Uh, he's only the fifth uh, foreign-born winner to win in the NASCAR Cup Series. Uh, this is huge. He's now won in the trucks, Xfinity and Cup Series, an Xfinity Series champion. But just the path he took to get to this win is the thing that I'm more impressed by because, man, it looked like his star was on the rise. He had Joe Gibbs racing equipment. Everything was good. They thrust him into the Cup Series way too early when Carl Edwards retired. So he wasn't in a situation to really succeed. So after a couple of years there, he's bounced from Joe Gibbs Racing. He lands at Stuart Haas Racing and really honestly performed very well in that one year he had there. Been a 17th in points with the first guy just outside the playoff cut. Uh, but after one year, they, they booted him. And so it was like, well, here it goes. Daniel Suarez is done. You know, he lands at Gaunt Brothers Racing, which is a very, very backmarker team, uh, to be honest. And he struggled mightily, but hung in there, got through that. And when the opportunity arose, he, he landed at uh, Trackhouse Racing when Justin Marks uh, decided to go racing and, and start a team. Uh, and I I think a lot of people questioned that move because it felt like a, a, a lateral move at that point because you weren't really going to a team that was well-established and you weren't really going to a team uh, that you know showed any real signs of anything because we didn't know what, what Trackhouse was at that point. Uh, but I think a, a year later from that move, uh, I think there's one person laughing at Daniel Suarez. How is the new team having so much success, especially by taking over assets from Chip Canassi that they, they weren't doing all that well to begin with? Okay, so it's not like yeah. they took over Hendrick Motorsports. Okay, it, this is, so this is what's surprising me so far about the season is just how much success they're having. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. It's, uh, it's, it's something that you're like, man, where did this come from? Uh, again, the next-gen car, though, I have to say, really helps level the playing field. So if you've got people who are uh, serious, you've got an entire organization built with people who know what they're doing, uh, and, and, you know, to that to that factor, Justin Marks has really been hiring a lot of people. Uh, he, he didn't just stick around with the same people from Chip Ganassi Racing. Sure, there are some people from there, uh, but he's kind of built this thing with his own people at this point, and, and the people he felt comfortable could run a team. Um, and when this next-gen car swapped, they, they they impressed in year one with Daniel Suarez by himself. Uh, but you can tell they were just missing a little something to get over, get over the, you know, the hump there. And, and now this year with the next-gen car, that's really leveled that playing field. And uh, they've got two of the most uh, fierce drivers out there that really want it. And when you've seen these guys in a position to, to strike and take a win, they've done it. They've, they have not failed at that at all. All right, bud, we'll wrap it up with this. Uh, have the week off. After uh, the Toyota Save Mart 350, that was uh, Suarez one there in Sonoma. Next race up is going to be on Sunday, June the 26th. That's in Nashville at the Nashville Super Speedway. It's the Ally, uh, Ally 400. I know we got a week or so more out before it, but who do you like? Whose racing style fits that track, and how much does the new car affect how you can predict these races? Yeah, so it's uh, it's. 
a concrete racetrack, uh, which typically a lot of the judges racing cars, I like it at concrete racetracks most of the time. So you look at a Kyle Busch or a Denny Hamlin in that situation, although they haven't had the best of luck this year, uh, but they've also had some speed. So uh, I feel like a, a Joe Gibbs racing driver will probably take over here. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see. It's still just the second race we've ever had in the Cup Series on this track. They brought it in last year. Um, and so it was kind of a, a surprise addition to the schedule because it's kind of just been sitting dormant for, for several years, and then they brought it out. Uh, so we're still kind of wondering who's got what uh, for this racetrack at this point. But, yeah, I, I'd say a Joe Gibbs racing car is probably a good bet. All right, bud, tell the people how they can follow you on social media and where they can go to get all your great work, whether it's your articles or your podcast. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, at Toby underscore Christie on uh, Twitter is my personal one. Uh, the website's at tobychristie.com. Uh, if you go to tobychristie.com, that's all of our uh, all of our articles and all of our stories, all the information you need to, if you're doing like fantasy sports or anything like that, you can check it out there. And then, of course, the Final App Weekly Podcast, you can check that out literally on every podcast platform. Just search for the Final App and you'll find us. Bud, it's been too long. We'll make sure to remedy that moving forward. Appreciate you coming on, brother. Enjoy your weekend, your off weekend, if you will. Recharge those batteries, bud. Yeah, I'm moving this week, so it's going to be um, interesting. <laughs> uh, good luck, man. Moving's never fun. No. It's <laughs> <laughs> never fun. It's Toby Christie of tobychristie.com joining us here talking all things NASCAR. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll give you an update on the U.S. Open from outside of Boston, and then uh, finalize our poll question of the day and get you set up for footnotes with guest host George Faust. That's all coming up next right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer. Or some flavored water. Back to more kick-ass sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Update from the U.S. Open. Round number one is in progress. You have a tie atop the leaderboard. Matthew Naismith. And Colin Morikawa tied for first at three under par. Naismith through 11 holes. Morikawa through the front nine. And then you have some other bigger names there in the mix as well. John Rahm is tied for fifth. He had gotten down to two under par, but gave a stroke back there. It looks like on hole number nine. Roy McIlroy is one under par through eight. The amateur that we were talking about earlier, Travis Vick, tied for 13th. He's now at even par. Adam Scott at even par as well. And a slew of others. Your big, A lot of your big heavy hitters, though, will not be teeing off until later today. Sergio Garcia at 12.03. Kevin Na, 12.03. Tony Fina, Justin Thomas, 12.14. Sam Burns, the former LSU star, 12.14. Then you got the guys like Brooks Kepka, Scotty Scheffler, Webb Simpson, Dustin Johnson, Phil Mickelson, and more will all be teeing off in the afternoon, including Bryson DeChambeau. So all the LIV guys <laughs> are in the field. Doomsday scenario. I've said it all week. Doomsday scenario for the PGA Tour is having one of the LIV guys, the live guys, win the U.S. Open. In particular, if it's Phil Mickelson who gets to complete the Grand Slam. 
if the face of LIV golf wins the U.S. Open, the, the world may come. The world may start burning. I'm just saying. At least the golf world will. That is not what they want to see happen. <laughs> Poll question of the day. Our final results. How will Sam Burns, the former LSU star and Louisiana native, finish at the U.S. Open? 40% of you say you expect a top 25 performance for Sam. 32% say in the top 10. 16% say you think he may miss the cut. And 12% say you think he's going to finish as the winner. Thanks for all who voted on the poll question of the day and left your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Also, while we have a moment, I want to take a, a brief moment to thank all of our guests. Reese Gilmore, she's the founder of the Rescue Group of Acadiana. They do great things for families who are grieving after child loss. They have an event coming up that's going to help raise funds for the said organization. Appreciate Reese's time letting us know all about that. Of course, Les East from CrescentCitySports.com, talking Saints, talking Pels. We're a week away from the NBA draft, by the way. And, of course, Toby Christie from TobyChristie.com, our buddy talking all things NASCAR. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow. Friday 6 to 9, but until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Footnotes with guest host George Faust is up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.